Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doylestown Presbyterian Church. It's clear these days it's tough to make time. Schedules quickly become busy and calendars suddenly become full. To that end, DPC is excited to now offer this podcast channel, which will allow you to hear a recording of Sunday's sermon from that day's preacher. Whether you listen while taking an evening stroll, driving to and from the grocery store, or anytime you get a free couple of minutes, we hope it can allow for reflection and spiritual growth during your week. We also invite you to visit www.dtownpc.org to learn more about our church, our various ministries, and online giving opportunities. Thank you for tuning in. This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all living flesh on the earth. With those words, our Old Testament reading and this sermon series began to wind down. Ever since the Sunday after Easter, we have been focused here on the biblical events of that devastating flood of long ago. And we have been reminded of God's disturbing decision to destroy all life because of the wickedness of human beings. And then we have followed along as Noah and his family entered, endured, and then left the ark. We have been paying attention to that narrative all along the way as a, a, a way of instructing us as we began to emerge from this pandemic. And so we have begun to focus on what it means for us to start over and what an enduring faith looks like. We have pondered how we are to be humble because of our shared limited understanding. We have talked about how it is that we start over after 15 months of being confined and then how as an act of love we choose to restrict some of those freedoms that have come back. Along the way, we heard God silently vow never to do that again. And on this day, we hear of the moment that he speaks that promise aloud. It comes on a day when God is gathered with Noah and his sons and tells those men to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Given our current world population of about 7.9 billion, I think it's fair to say that the descendants of Noah were faithful in that command. And yet our passage today continues that moment as God then talks about what God will do in response as God says, as for me, I'm establishing a covenant between you and your descendants and all living things on the earth that never again will the waters cut off all flesh on the earth and never again will the earth be destroyed by a flood. Those words contain for us the very first covenant found in the Bible. And in the days and pages that follow this moment, God will subsequently promise to make of Abraham a great nation, 
and to make Israel his people. God will vow to raise up from the house of David a descendant who will be king forever, and God promises to write the holy law on human hearts. As Christians, we have committed ourselves to living in response to the new covenant found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yet it all began. The very first divine human agreement occurred when the ark had been vacated. And God said, never again. It's a moment, like all that we have seen in this narrative, when we are taken back and are are blessed once again to hear of God's work. And as a part of that moment, you may have noticed that all the agreement to this point is one-sided. Everything that has been articulated has been of what God will and will not do. Nothing said about what human beings are to do in response. That pattern continues as God goes ahead and offers a sign of this covenant. As God says, I am placing my bow in the sky and whenever I see it, I will remember my covenant. Now for the ancients, The rainbow was typically viewed as a symbol of war and this reminder that the gods could act upon them just as with an archer's bow could bring violence upon them. And yet God is reframing it in this moment. God is saying, when I see that bow, I will remember my covenant with you. One scholar describes that particular moment as saying that God initiates and establishes the covenants and the remembering of it becomes exclusively a divine responsibility. The covenant is as good as God is. In other words, all of the requirements of that vow are upon God. Now, of course, for you and me, there are other ways that we view rainbows. There's that Irish legend that talks about how at the end of a rainbow, one will find a pot of gold. And there's that fictional girl from Kansas who sung of somewhere over the rainbow. We know of the rainbow flag that lifts up the equality of all people regardless of their sexual orientation. And we can hear of voters known as a rainbow coalition who represent a diverse gathering of ethnic, religious, and political perspectives. In the Bible, though, the rainbow takes us back to this moment and names for us God's promise to remember. And yet, as we have seen at other points along the way, in coming back to verses and accounts that we first heard as children, but now are listening to them as adults, there is something in the way God frames that that naturally raises a question for us. For what does that say when God is not looking 
or when there is no rainbow. Frederick Beekner, the Presbyterian minister and author, offers uh, through his imagination a glimpse of what may have been going through Noah's mind in that particular moment. As Beekner suggests that in one way then, it gave Noah a nice warm feeling to see the rainbow up there. But in another way, it gave him an uneasy twinge. If God needed a rainbow as a reminder, he thought, that could mean that if someday God didn't happen to look in the right direction or had something else on his mind, he might forget his promise and the heavy drops would start pattering down on the roof a second time. The writer goes on to have Noah recall all that he and his family had been through, the flood, the endless days on the ark, the water level beginning to drop, and then that dove that didn't return before coming back to this vow God has just made. The great promise echoed in his ears. Never again, God had said. And Noah clung to those words like a raft in a high sea. With the rainbow tied around his little finger, to jog his memory, surely God would never forget what he said, Noah thought. No matter what new meanness humankind might think up, surely the terrible things would never happen again. That imaginative depiction of Noah's response articulates for us the primary word that we hear from this scene, this reminder of God's vow never again to destroy the earth with a flood. God does not say that he will protect the earth from human beings destroying it, as clearly that power is within our grasp but rather that the events that Noah and his family have just lived through would never again, which invites us whenever we see a rainbow to recall that promise and the way that it continues to be lived out. As I was reading that passage again this past week, though, I heard another promise from God that, that I had never noticed before in the midst of this same scene. For again, God says, when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember. When a bow is in the clouds, God said, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant. I never noticed all the mention that God offers of cloud cover in this promise. And I wondered why. And then I happened upon a scholar who made this statement. No bow appears unless there are clouds. No bow appears unless there are clouds. Those words got my attention and so I began looking online to see if, in fact, that was true. 
And most of what I read suggested that yes, in, in every case that the article is mentioned, there had to have been a storm or at least clouds present before a rainbow could be seen. But since I'm not a meteorologist, I decided as one final step to turn to my brother-in-law, who is, and who had a stint on the Weather Channel. And so I, I texted Bob and asked him this question, and here's what he said in response. All you need for a rainbow is water vapor and sunlight at the right angle. Water vapor can come from waterfalls. So you can have a cloudless day at Niagara Falls, but you'll have a rainbow that is seen when the sun is low enough to reflect through the mist. Well, as this second point in my sermon was evolving, that's really not what I wanted Bob to tell me. <laughs> and, and so, what I'd like to do is to modify the words of that 20th century scholar by the insight from my 21st century brother-in-law and say, ordinarily, no bow appears unless there are clouds. Why did that refrain stick with me? Because there are clouds that happen for all of us. There are moments of storms that we're either in the midst of or emerging from that is true of every life. All of us experience times when it is not just the sun shining. And thus I heard in these words something about God's promise in those times too. That even with the clouds, God sees and God continues to act. I heard Jesus make that point in our New Testament reading today. That is one of the few times that I know of when he talks about weather. And it came in a chapter. If you go back and look, you can see that Jesus is getting increasingly frustrated with what's happening around him. He talks about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He offers a couple of troubling parables about a rich fool and then of the need to always stay alert as to when he will return. And it's after that that Peter comes up to Jesus and says, are these parables meant just for us, for the 12, or are you meaning them for all of the people? And then Jesus goes on to say that he has come to actually bring about division. It is then that he turns to the crowd and says, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it's going to rain, and it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. Now, what Jesus is describing is a weather phenomena that is still true in that part of the world, namely, that if clouds come from the Mediterranean direction, it usually results in rain. And that if there is wind coming up from the desert, that it brings about excessive heat. And yet, as you might well imagine, Jesus' point is not about weather forecasting. For he goes on to say this to that crowd, you hypocrites, 
You are able to interpret the signs of heaven and earth, and yet you cannot interpret the signs of this moment. Now, among all the things that Jesus could have meant in those words, I think at least part of it is this understanding that he was the very embodiment of God's presence and the people didn't understand. That right before them was the word of God in flesh and they were not grasping it. And friends, you and I are their descendants in every way imaginable. For there are times for all of us when we can be going along and fail to see how God is in fact working in this very moment. And so we can get frustrated that our career doesn't seem to be progressing in the way that we should and not see how God is preparing us for what comes next. We can worry that our children are not absorbing all of the wisdom that we are trying to convey to them and fail to recognize how God is bringing forth this unique person that they are. We can worry about all of the clouds and storms of the 21st century, and there are many. And in the midst of those, fail to see the rainbows that are evidence of God's creative presence and work. And like those people to whom Jesus was speaking long ago, so are there times when you and I need others to see. Dan Migliori is a professor emeritus of theology at Princeton Theological Seminary. And a number of years ago, he talked about a moment when some children helped him see in a way that he had not before. As he said, it came on a day several summers ago when I experienced an unexpected and unpretentious confirmation of God's promise and God's faithfulness as present in the city. It came, he said, from some African-American children in the inner city of Trenton. And I was there because a colleague was running a summer program for the children and had invited me to come and join her. And I suspect she thought I would benefit from it as much if not more than the children. And so I, I agreed. One day, he said, my job was to teach a group of nine and 10 year olds. And when that time was winding down, three of those tired children asked me to read them a Bible story. I chose to read the story of Noah and the rainbow. And when I finished, I said to them, where do you see rainbows? And in looking back, Migliori says, unfortunately, I see that question now as sort of a pretentious question of a theology professor. But where do you see the rainbows? And one child said, on the streets. Thinking the question had been misunderstood, he said again, where do you see the rainbow? And the child said, on the streets. I see it reflected 
in the oil, on the puddles of the streets and the parking lots. Migliori said, for that child in Trenton, the sign of God's presence and work was not up in the sky, not way up there, but it was down low, visible for him in the grime of the city streets. Friends, as you and I begin to emerge ever more fully from this pandemic that has controlled us for well over a year, may we continue to pay attention to and notice the rainbows that have been provided for us by God. The one who declared long ago, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Let us pray. We give thanks, O God, for the unbreakable nature of your care, for the promise found in those words of long ago, and for the ways that we continue to experience your presence, your leading, and your love. Guide us as we continue to emerge as your people, that we might remain attuned to and grateful for all of the rainbows that you send. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on your journey of faith. Don't forget to check out www.dtownpc.org to explore all the ways DPC strives to be a bridge for Christ and a beacon of his love.